happy Memorial Day weekend to all of you and to those of you that this hits very personal and close to home, remembering those who paid the price, laid it all on the line to preserve our way of life as Americans. We want to honor you today. We also want to say thank you to those of you that maybe was a family member. Um, that's a, a very high, high cost to pay so that we still have the freedoms that we have. Because it's not everywhere in the world that you can come to church and worship like this openly and freely and that it's perfectly acceptable. And so we don't take those freedoms for granted. And we, uh, we certainly want to honor and celebrate you today. With that thought of remembering Memorial Day, uh, I wanted to just kind of jump right into that same thought. I also want to, from the, the perspective of what St. Pete said, um, in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12, he said, Therefore I will always remind you about these things, even though you know about them and are established in the truth you have. I want to share a message. Uh, you're established in the truth that you have. Today I want to share a message with you. Um, that's been on my heart for a couple of weeks uh, to share, and so it's kind of a standalone. It's still part of the Engage series because it fits, but it's just kind of in and what itself because I, I, I really want us to dig into the idea today um, uh, of, of the thought I still believe. I still believe. How many of you still believe? We're going to find out what that means in just a little bit as we dig a little deeper, okay? But in our elders' meetings um, during the month, we've been praying. And uh, in this last meeting, we talked about, you know, I really feel like this is the direction that as a church family we're going to be headed for the fall is in this idea of I still believe. And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And, and dealing with some of the things that will help each and every one of us be equipped to live um, the Christian life fully engulfed in what that is in a, a, a culture that's becoming more and more so post-Christian America. Our, our kids and grandkids are growing up in a world that is not nearly the same as what we grew up in as kids. It, it's a much different society. Uh, in fact, I, I had to snicker because this week, this last week at the end of school stuff with our children, um, one of the things they sent home was, uh, on Sunday, you know, for this particular concert, come in your church, and they have to put, quote, church clothes. Okay, fine. And literally had kids in shorts and t-shirts, when clearly the choir director wanted them in something different, right? At least jeans and, and like, their choir shirt would have been fine. But, like, when I was a kid, your church clothes meant something different, right? Like, back then, you know, 30 years ago was a different story. I remember wearing the bow tie as a kid with a matching gray suit with my brother. Now, I just got to tell you, as, a, as, as the one who had to endure those pictures, I'm grateful that those days are gone because to have to dress matching my older brother today, I, like, shoot me now. Not going to happen. Forget about it. It's not, not going to happen. So, so it's just, as things are changing, we, wanna, we want to equip and address some of these things because the, the old arguments... And I say arguments from the standpoint of, of a perspective, a, a way of understanding that we've possessed for years and years gone by, just don't meet the challenges that are ahead of us, right? Because the things that we know and believe as Christian believers, and especially classic, Pentecostal, um, more in the, the, the really... The conservative orthodox side of it, where we believe really what it says, we're not advancing beyond things that are kind of crazy, okay? So as some of that's changing around us, we need to understand how to address certain things. We're facing things with our kids today we never had to face. I never will forget the day that my second grader came home and called her brother gay. And I said, well, what 
does that even mean? Because I don't think she understands. And she spouts off exactly what it meant, leaving out the sexual connotation side of it. And I went, oh, no, we got a problem. Sit down, baby. Let me explain some things to you. Right? When I was a kid, we didn't even understand that until I was much older, right? I mean, you, you would have had the, the, the birds and the bees discussion long before any of that kind of subject matter would have been uh, approached. It's a different world we're living in. And we've got to understand. It doesn't mean that it, it's a different solution because the solution is still Jesus, amen? This, he's still the answer. That, that's never going to change. But the way that that gets presented today has got to, got to change just a little bit in the approach in order to appeal to that generation that's going, I don't just take your Sunday school answer anymore, Mom. Grandma, I reject your Sunday school answer of, well, because Jesus says. Well, let's talk through some of those things. So this fall, we're going to address some of those cultural issues um, that are right there facing us from what does the Bible say, because I still believe that Jesus is the only way. I still believe that what his word says is true. I still believe all of these things. And I want to help each and every one of us to still believe and to be able to convey that, not, uh, not to not be ashamed and to not sit back and go, I don't really know how, how to answer that. And so we're going to talk through some of those things and what does that look like. Uh, I think the spirit of the Antichrist is definitely at work in the world around us. Amen? That never changes, right? He, and that's growing. Uh, everything that, we can, that the society and culture and the world at large can do to quench the moving of the gospel, it is doing rapidly. But I want you to know that they may be trying to stymie it here in America, but around the world it is growing by leaps and bounds. It is flourishing. The gospel is flourishing. Uh, and so we, we're, we're rejoicing in that, but we've got the, a really tough task ahead of us. But that doesn't mean that our resolve or our determination to meet that task and to fulfill the great commission should be any less, amen? We should definitely give it everything we've got. So, I still believe. How many of you have things from childhood that you still believe the same way you believed them since childhood? We, we all do that, right? I've got, I've got those. I remember a story about a, a young lady. She was getting married. She was engaged. She just gets married, and they're, they're going to have their first family dinner at her house. And her and her husband are getting everything ready, and all the family's coming, her parents, his parents, grandparents, everybody. It's like a, like a holiday meal, and they're going to have it at their house. So she's in, and she's getting ready to put the ham on to cook. And what does she do? She cuts both ends off, right? You probably heard this story. Just stick with me. She cuts both ends off, and her husband says, why are you cutting both ends off of the ham? I don't know, but that's the way my mother has always done it my whole life. That's what she did. Makes the best ham. It is so ju juicy and moist. It's just amazing. Makes the flavor so much better. But I have no idea why we do it. Oh, okay. I'm going to ask your mom because I've never seen that happen. What? Mom shows up. He goes in. Hey, mama, listen. She cut the end off the ham, and she said it was your fault. Mom said, okay. Why do you do that? I don't know. I always watched my mom do it. That's what she did. I just always thought that it made the ham taste better, so I just stuck with it. Your, her, her dad asked me the same question. I just said, because my mom did it, and that was enough for him. Why isn't it enough for you? Because I want to understand. So grandma shows up, goes in. He says, grandma, I got a question for you. My wife, your granddaughter, just cut the ends off the ham before she put it in to cook. I asked her, why did we do that? And she says, well, because my mom did that. So I went and asked your daughter, her mother, why would you do that? And she said, I don't know, because my mom did that. So mama, why, grandma, why did you cut the ends off the ham? 
And she just starts dying laughing. She said, well, grandson, the only pan I had was too small for the ham. So I cut the ends off the ham to make it fit so we could cook it and eat it. Three generations later, we're still doing the same thing, right? It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to. We all have those things. I have a whole list of those kinds of things. And some of these, uh, there's things I still believe since childhood, and, and, and they've just stuck with me, and they've never gone away. And they may not mean anything to you. You may not get the reference, and some of you may get the reference, and that's okay. But I still believe who shot J.R. was the greatest mystery of all of TV. See, I'm dipping in antiquity. I was like, you know, a little kid, right? Like Dallas, if you remember that. Maybe you were too holy for that. I don't know. I still believe that Ozzie Smith is the greatest shortstop to ever play the baseball game for the greatest baseball team to ever play, the St. Louis Cardinals. That was for you, Ted. <laughs> I believe that the Dallas Cowboys are America's team and that this will finally be their year to win the Super Bowl. See, a few of you are amen to me, right? Okay, okay. I still believe in Santa Claus. Because my mama told me if you ever quit believing in Santa Claus, there will never be a stocking hanging over my fireplace with Christmas gifts in it. I still believe, you know what I'm saying? I'm never too old to quit believing in St. Nick. I still believe that church camp is the greatest week of summer. I still believe that road trips with my brother sitting in the back seat means we have to yell and scream and fight because he's looking in my general direction. Right? How many of you remember that from your childhood? Like, it's ingrained. Like, if my brother and I get in the, same, in the same car, I'm like, one of us has to sit in the front, okay? It's fine for us to both be in the front seat and go somewhere, but if we're both in the back, somebody's got to move. Because, like, at some point in time, five minutes down the road, somebody's getting hit. And then I'm waiting for, like, my dad's, uh, you know, go-go gadget arm to reach back and be able to reach a leg I didn't know he could reach. You know what I'm saying? Some of you have the go-go gadget arm, but that, that's the way it was when I was a kid. I still believe that brownie chocolate sheet cake is the preferred birthday cake for everybody whose last name is Jenkins. And it's the way it is. And half the cake has to be made with nuts and half without. Because growing up, I didn't like nuts on the cake. So my mama would make half and half, right? This is the way it is. I still believe that's the way it is. I still believe that a steak that requires steak sauce is just so, so sad. I remember the day my dad came over and said, after I had cooked steak for one of the first times, he said, son, you got any A1 in there? And I went, oh, that, that is a low blow. And he just started dying laughing because all my life, growing up, that's the way it was. My granddad was a chef, and he would literally tell us, he, I was lovingly referred to as number two, not because I was full of it, but that's a different story. But my older brother was the firstborn, I was second, so he was number one and I was number two. Number two, you're cutting that the wrong way, you're cutting it against the grain. I mean, like, just little things like that. I'm like, I don't care. Just cut the meat. Eat it. How about that, Grandpa? That didn't go over too well either, so I learned my lesson there. But I learned a good steak shouldn't require steak sauce. I still believe that Jesus will ask us to pass the Ted's queso at the marriage supper of the Lamb. <laughs> Some things never change, right? I, I still believe that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to ever lace up the laces for his shoes to play basketball. 
There's a new generation that's going to say it's some other guy, I don't know, LeBron something or other, but whoever. It's still Jordan, MJ, he's got more rings, whatever. And then uh, uh, the last thing I'll tell you that I still believe is that the air stinks every single time you cross the state line into Texas because it doesn't matter what time of day it is, Texas still stinks. I just, I just, hey, listen, I, there are things that have stuck with me, right? And I'm glad and grateful for all the things that my family taught me like that. They're, you know, our humor's just stuck with me my whole life. I, I still remember every trip we would make. We'd go to Dallas for something, and about the time we'd hit the state line, it didn't matter who was asleep. My dad or mom was waking everybody up. And my dad said, hey, hey, we're crossing to Texas. Hold your breath. Get the last good breath of air you can get before we get into that uh, uh, foul air. You know, I mean, I, I still remember that. I'm grateful for all the humorous things that they taught me that have stuck with me, but I'm also grateful for the other really important things that stuck with me. Like, I'm grateful they didn't teach me that only, you know, uh, to, to enjoy good food or, or uh, to revel in great sporting moments, um, to enjoy the fact that OU is still the Texas State football champions. They also taught me some really important things in life, like family comes first. Uh, they, they taught me that there's little in life that is as fulfilling as a hard day's work at the end of the day. It's just fulfilling to realize, man, you have done something and accomplished something. Uh, my dad really emphasized and taught me as a very young man that to be an, a good employee, you need to be 15 minutes early and stay 15 minutes late without being asked to. Taught me about punctuality and that if you're going to be on time means to be 10 minutes early, on time is to be uh, late and to be ten, to actually be late ten minutes late is unacceptable. Those are the things my, my parents instilled in me. They, they taught me that you should live every moment so that you never have to look back on life and say what if, right? To enjoy every moment that life gives us to the absolute fullest. That's the kind of stuff that they taught me and instilled in my life growing up. And I'm grateful for those really important life lessons because those are what steer us in life. Amen. But they also grounded me in some really important biblical principles that have shaped who I am as a man, as a husband, as a father, and as a pastor. Because the essential truths that they've instilled in me have stood the test of time. They have lasted far beyond anything that you could imagine. They have, have, have withstood and stood up under as, as our pillars of, of society in America for over 200 years and the pillars of Christian community for more than 2,000. These were the pillars, um, the things that are really important that have stuck with us. It's the things that the great fathers of the church clung to in, in centuries and millennia gone by. It's the things that they taught over and over and over again that have hung around and, and withstood the test of time. So today I want to talk about just three of those, and there are many, many that we could, but today just, just three of the things that I still believe in. I still believe in the church, I still believe in the Holy Spirit, and I still believe in the only way. Number one, the church. I believe that the church is the greatest hope that the world has. Amen? I believe that the local church is the greatest hope. And the, the local church being fully alive by the power of the living Christ at work in and through us to make a difference in the world around us. I think there's nothing more frustrating than an anemic church that is caught up in bickering and infighting, so self-righteous self and motivated by hypocrisy that they're so inwardly focused that it's, it resembles little more than a community, a country club. 
I think there's nothing more exciting and more powerful than an empowered local church making a difference in the world around us. See, when we rise up together as one church family, all a part of the body of Christ, when we rise up that way, we can accomplish great things in our world. We can see amazing things happen, and we can literally push back darkness by advancing the light of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what the local church, us, that's what we get to be a part of. In just the last couple of weeks, we as a local church have gotten to be a part of, of nearly, what is it, 5,000, 6,000 kids' lives in our community within a two or three mile radius of our local church through the efforts of, of some incredible volunteers. Rick Jackson is, and Judy have led the way in that and recruited volunteers and recruited volunteers to make bags and deliver bags to impact kids. This last week, we got to go back and deliver uh, a little over 10,800 bottles of flavored water for the kids to enjoy on their last uh, big uh, Super Kids Day events at school. And literally, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. One of the schools at Stanway Elementary the assistant principal shared a picture um, of all this water with some of the volunteers that were there. And one of the teachers wrote, her comment underneath the picture said, I have never seen love expressed this way. That's what it's about, amen? Listen, we, we may not see the immediate, oh great, somebody came to the altar and got saved. But you know who they're going to think about when they realize, hey, I need something different in my life? Us. There's a church that loved us when they didn't have to. That's where I'm going to go. That's who we're going to go see. Friends, that's what it's about, amen? I want to see that kind of love put in action on an ongoing, regular basis. That's the local church community coming alive, ministering to our local community right here around us. So how does the local church become the hope of the world? Well, number one, I believe by individually choosing to, to, to embrace the fruit of the Spirit rather than the fruit of the flesh. How many of you know that's a choice, right? Every time somebody cuts me off in traffic, I have a choice. I can choose to tell them Jesus is the way, with hand motions included, or I can choose to lovingly back off and not let it get me, right? It's a simple choice. We have a choice to make. And when we're, whatever we're full of, if we're full of the Holy Spirit, or we've cut him out and filled up with the, the, the fruit of the flesh, uh, guess what's going to happen? That's what's going to get displayed. We have a choice to put there. So I believe we become the, the hope of the world by individually choosing. I believe when we choose peace. Because the Bible says in Romans that as long as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. I believe we become the, local, the, the hope of the world as a local church by embodying the mission of Jesus and never compromising on that. Embodying the, the, the mission of Jesus. What did Jesus say he came to do? Seek and save those which were lost. Amen? To seek and save that which are lost. He, he didn't come for the well. He came for the sick. Came to build a hospital, not a country club. That's what he came to do. So when we embody that. Now, I didn't say... Uh, that we need to embrace the style of church we got saved in when we were five. Uh, I didn't say that because, thank goodness, styles change through the years. I'm really grateful that my mom doesn't expect my brother and I to still wear the same gray suit and the same pink bow tie with the same white shirt. Thank God those days are over, amen? As a kid, if my, my, my mom still came in and said, hey, listen, guess what? Hey, and bow ties are awesome. I'm not knocking bow ties. Okay. 
But if I had to wear the same gray suit with the same white shirt with with same pink bow tie as my brother, oh heaven to Betsy's, no way. I don't care. Wear a suit. Wear jeans. Wear shorts. Come covered for God's sake. That's all we ask. Amen. I'm going to start surprising you. You never know what I'm going to wear next week, or the next, or the next. Or you see what I'm saying? Because I just want you to live on edge. Because it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that you come and get the gospel of Jesus Christ and have that empower you to live in the world that's next. I want you to come dressed comfortably for you. And that's awesome. But don't expect everyone to be dressed the same way because people are on a different journey in life. Let's love them and bless them regardless. Amen? I'm thankful that the style of car has changed because that first car I drove at 16, bless the Lord, oh my soul. If I had to drive that 87 Subaru station wagon five-speed with a push-style radio pass, right? I tried to kill the thing when I got to college. I tried. I ran it like 15,000 miles. A Subaru will not die. That's why my mom still buys them today. Thank goodness styles have changed. If it still looked the same, it wouldn't be nearly the same. Thank God things changed, Right? We were all excited when we finished the remodel of the building. When this was redone and it went from the blue church to what we have now, what a beautiful transformation we had. Let's let those things be okay because it's not about preferences and styles. It's about mission. We've got to get people to accepting Jesus and presenting that. I think we also become the hope of the world when we engage the Bible in our lifestyle daily. In other words, do people say, man, they're kind, they're compassionate. They're generous. They're careful with their words. Or do they say, they go to church? Did you hear what they just said? I haven't met such a mean-spirited person in all my life, and they go to church? We've got to embrace what the Bible says daily. You see, these are the characteristics of an irresistible church. I still believe in the local church. I still believe in, in us and in, in every local church and working together makes a difference in the world around us. I also still believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit is for today, amen? Now, I'm going to give you a ton of biblical references for everything I'm about to say, but we're not going to put them on the screen. If you want to write them down, write them down. If not, see me afterwards, I'll give you a copy. See, Peter said that the gift of the Holy Spirit, as they received it in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, with the indwelling, the indwelling Holy Spirit of speaking in other tongues, just like it happened in the upper room, was for everybody. That's Acts 2.39. It's available to everybody. Now, I don't know about you, but the world that we live in today, my goodness, we desperately need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Desperately, we need it. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to say no to the things of the world and yes to the things of God. You know, sometimes discipline and self-control don't come naturally to us, right? We've got to learn to say no. We've got to learn to say, I'm not going to give in to that. I'm going to choose what I want for tomorrow instead of what is available to me today. So I'm going to choose differently. I need the Holy Spirit's intervention in my life to be able to live the life. Paul said the Spirit joins us in our weakness, right? In, in Romans 8, 26. I'm glad there's someone who comes alongside me when I don't have the power, amen? I don't know about you, but if you're trying to live something and you can't get it done, it's nice to have an extra set of hands come along, amen? You know, we were, we were uh, loading up a pallet of water this weekend, or this, this past week, and I remember we, we were having a hard time getting it on the trailer. In fact, I thought we were in trouble. 
And literally, Rick's trying to hold it, and I come over, I'm trying to hold it. So finally, I just kind of wedged myself up underneath it, right? And kind of get it. I'm like, okay, Rick, go help him figure out whatever he's got to figure out. Hurry. You know, and then like slowly but surely, I feel like I'm doing this as all of that weight is just coming over towards me. I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. I'm about to move, and 2,600 bottles of water are going to be everywhere across the ground, and this is going to stink picking them up. But oh, well, here we go. About that time, here comes Rick, and he gets on it just in time. I was like, okay, I can do this. Why? Because someone came in alongside to help. Guess what the Holy Spirit's job is? To come alongside in our weaknesses and join us in our need. That's what he does. He comes alongside us and helps us carry the burden that's in front of us to make it through. I need the Holy Spirit's help. How about you? I need that. Paul, Paul carried this further and he said, you know what? I wish... That everybody spoke in tongues and prophesied. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. I wish that everybody spoke in tongues, but more so that you would prophesy. Well, what's the difference and why the, the emphasis? Speaking in tongues builds me up. Prophesying builds everybody up. You speak a word in the season because you have been with the Lord in the quiet place and you know him intimately. Man, there's something different about that, right? We need that. You can prophesy. I'm not talking about getting all weird and crazy and kooky and everybody out there like, hey, sister, you married the wrong person. No, you didn't. You're just trying to be a pervert. Stop the mess, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being real, having walked with God and coming to somebody and say, hey, let me tell you something. And you begin to tell them something that's going on in their life. Guess what? You just got their attention. And you know what's about to change? Their eternal destiny because Jesus intervened in the moment. And he uses us. We need the Holy Spirit to see that happen. Amen? We need both. Tongues, we need prophecy, we need people that the Holy Spirit moves on. We need the Holy Spirit working in our lives to be a witness. That's Acts 1 and 8. To be a witness. You ever had times that you just wanted to tell somebody about Jesus but didn't know what to say? And the Holy Spirit will help you. He will empower you. He will make your words powerful to penetrate the outer crusty shell of that person's sinful nature and penetrate right to the heart because that's the power of the word, amen? It divides down to the soul and the spirit. It is that powerful. That's what it does. I need that. I also need that power to live the life that's different than everyone else around me. Basically, what we're saying is what Moses prayed back in Exodus 33, Lord, if your spirit doesn't go with us, do not send us from here. That's what Acts 1 and 8 fulfills. That's what Acts 2 and 4 saw come to pass. Because that was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to make us different than everybody else in the world. Amen? That's what it was about. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? I believe it's for today. We need the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. We need him moving in our worship services, which he has been, and I believe it's going to continue to grow stronger and stronger every day because with his anointing and power, there's a surge in anticipation and expectation and power and faith and desire and want to and will do. When there is the power of the Holy Ghost present, that's what we get, amen? We need his anointing to stir us to deeper places with him. That's what we need. Desperately, that's what we need. Friends, I still believe that the Holy Spirit is for today. I still believe in the local church. And I still believe that there's only one way. There's only one way to heaven. 
The only way to heaven is through Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't know which is becoming more unpopular in culture around us. That the Holy Spirit is for us today. In America, that's becoming very unpopular. Let's just be honest and call it what it is. Right? You have Pentecostal churches running from Pentecostal heritage. Friends, as long as I'm the pastor, that will never be the case. I'm not for weird, hokey, kooky, crazy. I'm not not looking to create a granola church full of fruits, uh, fruits, flakes, and nuts. What I am looking for is the authentic, real deal power of the Holy Spirit moving. It may not resemble what I saw as a kid. It it may not resemble the same thing. I, I may not... I may, I may never see somebody run up and down the aisles again. I hope so. As long as it's the Holy Spirit and not an outward, outward fleshly manifestation, right? Because see, there's, there's, there's a problem that we created in the church. When we taught people that an emotional experience was directly cord, uh, correspondent to a moving of the Holy Spirit. And I say we created a problem with that because it looked like this to teenagers. They would have emotional experiences that didn't lead to devotion, Emotion that doesn't lead to devotion is simply nothing more than a commotion. Let me say that again. Emotion that doesn't lead to devotion is nothing but commotion. I'm not looking to just create noise. I want the real deal. I want it to be authentic. But Jesus is the only way, and we need him moving in our lives. I'm looking for that. So whichever one's growing more unpopular, that that the Holy Spirit is for today or or that Jesus is the only way, I don't know. But in America, both are on the rise, right? The problem is the Bible makes it crystal clear. You can't go to the Bible and find enough verses that will counteract what Jesus himself said about him being the only way, right? The Bible makes it clear the only way to heaven is through the saving grace of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2.8. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's the only way, friends. There's no other way we can be saved. There's no other way we're going to make it to heaven. You can't be a good enough person and make it. Friends, we're going to get to heaven, and there's going to be places you're going to look around. If we all make it, I'm going to say it that way. Uh, We're going to look around. We're going, how did that scoundrel get in? Because you knew them. But guess what? They accepted Jesus and you didn't know it and things were changing. And then you're going to get to heaven and you're going to look around for Aunt Bessie and go, where's Aunt Bessie? She was always at church, but she didn't know Jesus. If you don't know him, you're not going to get in. You can't present a fake ID at the door. It's never going to work. You have to know Jesus. And he himself said that he is the only way. I'm sorry, but if he said it, I'm going to believe it. In my Bible, it's in red. We're going to give you lots of other reasons for that this fall, but we're going to go for there for today. John 14, 6, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Who's the way? Jesus. How how can you get to heaven? Jesus. He's the only way, right? There's no other way. It's not possible to find another access point. You're never, ever, 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 ever going to find it. It's pretty straightforward, and yet people still disqualify it. They don't want there to be only one way. And let, let me just cut right to the chase on this. People don't want there to only be one way. Even God-fearing people, they don't want there to be only one way. 
when we get right down to the core of it because that might mean that Aunt Bessie didn't make it. It might mean that their kid who is lost, lost as a goose in a hailstorm, isn't going to make it. Tragically died, and so they thought, well, there has to be some other way. They were a good person. Being good's not going to get us there. So we, we look drastically and desperately for other means and other ways. Just not going to find it. See, I still believe that what Jesus says is more than enough and is the final statement because I trust his word. I trust him. And I'm saying that on this side of having to deal with that in my own life, in my family's life, so that on the other side of it, one day, God forbid that ever happened in our family to have to, to wrestle with that, I'm going to be okay with still saying, I still believe in what the scripture says. And for those that have experienced that, I don't diminish or demean that because here's the truth. There's a reason why the Bible says he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Because the thought of living in heaven without our loved one would be too much to bear. But here's the thing. If there were 94 ways to get to heaven, I can't imagine any father, especially our heavenly father, saying, yeah, I'm going to let my one and only son go ahead and go down live on the earth instead of living here on streets of gold, be beaten and tortured and maimed and be killed by the very people he came to save just so there could be 95 ways to get to heaven. There's only one way. That's, that is why he did it. That's why he came. There's only one way. So this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, perhaps you're here today and you, maybe you've never heard it put that straight. And you would just say, Pastor, I need to be saved. I need to trust Jesus for his saving grace and power. I need to, I need to give my life to him, and today I don't want to leave because you never know what's going to happen to you, friend. You, you could be headed out for a fun time with your friends and family, leaving this parking lot and get run over out here on Penn. Tragic accident takes your life, and before you've had a chance to accept Jesus, you could be ushered into the, the, the eternity and be having to make judgments, uh, a judgment call. Don't put that on the line. No today. So if that's you and you say, Pastor, I need to get some sin out of my life. I've got sin I've been harboring, and I want to commit my life to Jesus. Maybe for the very first time, Maybe for the 100th time, but today could be your day. If that's you, would you slip up a hand? Anybody here this morning, you need to give your life. All right. All right. A few hands there. Who else? Okay. Come on. Who else? All right. I see your hand there. Who else? All right. All right. Here's what I want us all to do right there where you're at before we even move on with our altar time. Let's pray together. Repeat this prayer after me, if you will. Jesus I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Today I accept you as my Savior. And I commit my life to you. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. And help me to trust you when I don't know how. In Jesus' name, amen.